Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. I'm here with Jeff Grant from uh, YouTube's channel, Zion's Banner. You can also go on his website, uh, zionsbanner.org. And YouTube, follow him, uh, subscribe to him. He's a really awesome guy to do. So, this episode we're actually going to be talking about, um, in Judaism, about, um, well, Jeff, want to go and tell him? Yeah, I mean, the incarnation. That's right, incarnation. The the Trinity is a problem, but the incarnation is a real problem. That Um, actually is surprising to me, to be honest, is that, because it's written all throughout the the, the Old Testament, about how God's going to come and be in human flesh, and he even talks about that continuously. So, if it's written in the Torah and the Tanakh, why is it such a difficult concept for Jews to accept that, that God becomes a man? Well, again, you have historic developments that end up occurring. Um, a lot of, of Judaism's today's kind of hardening of the positions, carterial sclerosis, hardening of the categories. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a term I like to use sometimes when I'm preaching. Uh, carterial sclerosis um, uh, has to do with with Jewish thinking and the issue of imminence and transcendence. Okay. Now let me explain. Mm-hmm. When we say that God is transcendent, we mean He's outside of our creation. He's greater than our creation. He's timeless. He's eternal. He's you know He is just spaceless, timeless. Yeah. Eternal, that, that, that we call that transcendence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also, as followers of Jesus, believe that God came and you know, Emmanuel, God with us, that he's entered into his creation, that he's interacted with his creation, that he continues to interact with his creation. We call that imminence. Okay. Okay? Uh, That's the way it's done theologically. Uh, During the Second Temple period, there was a real issue about transcendence and imminence. As they were looking at their Bible, how do we, we deal with the holy otherness of God and yet the God who is with us? Um... How do we handle that? How do we juxtaposition this theological tension uh, that we find? And during that Second Temple period, you, you had a lot of discussion uh, around this. And you had the, the uh, means by which, and the rabbis discussed the means by which. Now, you have that in your Bible. You have it in the theophany. Okay. So God was doing this, taking forms and dwelling among men. I remember that, yeah. And so God was doing this. And so Jews had a concept of the Shekinah or Shekinah, the dwelling presence of God between the cherubim, okay? Right. That was a big thing, okay? You didn't walk into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because God was literally present there. And so these concepts were there uh, as... As Christianity comes along, there's kickback. One, because Jews don't understand. Jews have the same problem Muslims do. The term son of God does not register. Should, in terms of Daniel chapter 7, but because Judaism has so far removed itself from the theology of sonship or the, the, the thread of sonship that runs through the Bible, um, it doesn't have much of that. And then when you finally reach the 12th century, you have Maimonides. The Rambam. He's a major Jewish thinker who is exposed to Islam and Aristotelian thinking. Because this was the age of Islam where there was actually some philosophical thought going on. And so he grows up in the shadow of the mosque. And he 
really hates anthropomorphisms. And so what, really, where are those examples? Those are where God is, you know, uh, the hand of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay, your your Mormons pick up on this and try to make God a man. The arm of the Lord, so God must be a man, because He's got an arm. We call these anthropomorphisms, mm-hmm. where very human language is used to convey to us as image bearers something that's true about God that we can understand because we're made in his image. So we're basically trying to take God and trying to understand him in a human principle. Therefore, we create these words in order to make it more relatable. Well, but the way it works is because we're image bearers, that that actually has validity. So if I was a rocking chair, that would have no validity in a sense. You know, it has validity because if we talk about God as a father, there is such a thing as fatherhood. Right. Okay, so we can discuss that. We can learn about what he's really like. Because as image bearers, those concepts can cross over to an extent, to a much more limited and perfect extent. My mom comes along, and one of my friends, Professor Amy Downey, uh, who is also a Southern Baptist, and we have fun if we are at the Southern Baptist Convention together. She has her own ministry called Sadaka Ministries. I don't mind promoting other people. I just hope that they'll return the favor. Um, <laughs> of course. Um, she um, wrote a paper on this. And so Maimonides says, no, polemic against Christianity because Jewish communities are writing me. I'm influenced a little bit by Islam. I'm going to go with the theology of what God isn't. And so he starts doing this stuff and he creates what are called the 13 articles of Maimonides. They get into the Jewish prayer book and they become the only creedal statement of Judaism that sorts of sticks. There were other ones, but they didn't stick as well. This one actually makes its way into the prayer book. In oh, the wow. Yigdal, and it's recited every morning. And the Hasidic Jews don't like it because they say, well, you can't you can't take the Ein Suf. You can't take the, the infinite, the uncountable one, and have 13 principles. But we'll still recite it because it still sort of codifies basic beliefs of rabbinical Judaism. Oh. And so they pray this, I believe, with perfect faith. That God has no body or never will. That would be the problem. That would be why they can't accept Jesus. Because Emmanuel, God physically with us. It becomes a problem. Yeah. And so you have this thinking that gets inculcated. Now I have a great book called uh, Mark Shapiro. The 13 Articles Reprised Beyond, Beyond Orthodoxy. Or... Uh, the Limits of Orthodoxy by Mark mm-hmm. Shapiro, who's a Jewish scholar who says, no, wait a minute, we need to reapprise Maimonides because even the sages of Israel didn't agree with him about everything. Well, one of the things they didn't agree with about him was, was this issue of whether God could uh, be talked about corporeally. Oh. So this book is great because it's like, well, here are the Jewish scholars, here's Maimonides, and guess what? You're objecting to something in Christianity which fell within the range of what might have been allowable at one time in Jewish thought. Phenomenal book. I could see where that could be a problem. I use it in my dissertation that I'm trying to get through. Uh, Just really cool. But Jews today will have many of the same objections that Muslims do. Because they have transcendence. But only the Hasidics seem to stress the imminence as much. That's the difference about the Hasidic community. They actually talk about the Shekinah or Shekinah. And so you have that still in... Uh, Hasidic Judaism to an extent. 
So why do they hold on to this belief system if in the Torah and the Tanakh, it both teaches that about the suffering servant, as we were talking about before in the earlier episode, Isaiah 53 clearly points out that God is going to send a suffering servant, that's going to be him, the embodiment. And we see so many times, even in the book of Daniel, where Jesus shows up, that there was a son of man in the fires of the Meshach. Pastors don't teach how the theophanies relate to Christ. I rarely hear it. When I get to speak, one of my joys is teaching on a theophany and its relationship to the incarnation. And it is terribly useful also with Muslims, which is how I got involved with some Muslim apologetics. My dad said there's no way there could be a virgin birth. Even though that's what's prophesied. God can't do that. Well, then he would have to, he says he would disagree with God. Well, he would disagree with God, but more importantly, dad, which is harder for God to become a bush or for God to become a man? Both are equally possible. Well, yeah. If he can do one, he can do the other. That's why Rabbi Singer hates Psalm 2. Kiss the son lest he become angry. I can see where he would be angry about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's you dumb Christians. The word is give homage. And so he translates. Now, unfortunately, you have a few English Bible translations that make the same mistake. So he'll pull out something like uh, an ancient RSV or something, and he'll play with it. And so it's like, well, you know, first of all, I was bar mitzvahed. Means son of the commandment. Well, if bar doesn't mean son, then bar mitzvah doesn't mean son of the commandment. So what am I telling people when I have a bar mitzvah ceremony? They should do homage to me or to the commandments? That's not what bar means in the passage. It's Aramaic, has a related Hebrew word. And so it's a play on words. So David's making a play on words. So Rabbi, you, you don't understand your text. Okay? But they love hearing that. But they don't. And you don't have to say it like that. You can say, look, first of all, I was just reading Proverbs 30, the beginning of Proverbs 30. Uh, Who knows the Lord and what is the name of his son, if you can tell me? Come on. It's there. Well, if it's against what the Torah and the Tanakh teach, why don't they just let this other prayer or whatever it is go? Because... If it contradicts what their holy books are saying, it should be an obvious thing of just let it go because obviously you're praying something that's not accurate. Well, the problem is that some of what my momity says is true. And the second thing is that Judaism finally got it uh, to where it had a a dog, uh, a a creed um, for so long. And this is a problem. You know, why are there Orthodox Jews and conservative Jews and, and reconstructionist Jews? Because Judaism didn't do something they needed to. They needed to figure out who they were. And they never really went about it in terms of truth. They went about it in terms of practice. And I'm sorry, you can be an atheist and celebrate Passover. Actually, funny you mentioned that. I have a guy I used to work with who, he was Jewish, as in he was practicing the Passover, as you were saying. And I remember having this conversation about the Messiah, and he came out to me the next day, and he goes, "Well, I found out the answer. I am an atheist." I'm like, "Wait, you just tell me you're you're practicing the Passover, but that makes sense. That yeah, they can practice Passover, but you can be an atheist because the synagogue started to align itself by measuring level of practice, not level of doctrine. So no differently than in Jesus's day, where they would. They held the practice over what the doctrine teaches, which is why they missed And I think that's a terrible mistake. Judaism tends to think if you do the mitzvot, you'll believe the right things. Proper practice leads to proper doctrine. 
That's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. Yeah, I was going to say that is not. That is the exact opposite of what the Bible. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Right. Okay. It's the exact opposite. God says if what's inside is right, what's outside will be right. Which is exactly what you, yeah, what he's taught, which is exactly what was not taught when it was used. Judaism tends to. Now, remember, blanket statements are dangerous, especially with Jewish people. Right. Three Jews, four opinions. Okay? (laughs) But Judaism tends to act like this. If the outside's right, the inside will be right. Which is what Jesus called out and said, the outside looks great, guys, but the inside is disgusting and you're on the verge of going And the prophets called it out. I don't care about your new moon sacrifices if what's inside isn't right. If you don't believe the right stuff... You will not consistently be able to do the right things. Right. Okay. You just won't. And so finally, Judaism gets a creed that sticks. Is it all bad? No. I believe with perfect faith in the Messiah. Though he tarry, yet will he come? Well, he is coming. Okay. I got no problem with the belief in the Messiah. It's hysterical that, you know, Maimonides writes this. Okay. But he's viewing all his future. Um, Dad, burning bush. Angel of the Lord. Let's get real clear in Exodus 3. Let's get clear binding of Isaac. You read that. You pray that in the prayer book every morning. You've not withheld your only son from me. Who's speaking to Abraham? The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord's calling himself deity in the Hebrew text. Let's get real about, let's get biblical, Rabbi Singer. Let's get really biblical for a few seconds. And really look at the Tanakh. In fact, the rabbis go right up to it in their commentaries where the angel of the Lord bears the name of God and they virtually make him almost synonymous with God. It's called the doctrine of two powers. People began to pick up on this. The rabbis shut the project right down. They're afraid of what actually was. And some of it's fear of polytheism. Well, if we allow for this, maybe we'll slip into polytheism. But the dumb part is you don't have to fear what God told you not to fear. That is true. You don't protect the truth by denying the truth to protect the truth. You don't build a fence around the law that violates the law to protect the law. This is very much like Jesus' time. This is exactly what the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin were all like. It was, <clears throat> let's create a bunch of rules in order to protect the rules that protected the rules. And that's why it's like when they were like, oh, you're working on a Sabbath. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not working on a Sabbath. When you're like, you're eating this grain. Oh, I love when he says, thing. my father is working. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm looking going, it's like when Nicodemus and a few other rabbis were the only ones who recognized who Jesus was and said that he was the son of God. And Nicodemus went to him. That's where we get John 3.16 from Nicodemus asking Jesus how to inherit the kingdom of God. And it's so, and when you read it as a believer, as you just read through it, you're like, these guys, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, they're missing the forest for the trees here. They are looking at the Son of God. Every single prophecy is being fulfilled. He is doing everything that the Old Testament has taught and every the Messianic prophecies has ever taught. And it, they're, they're, they're not stupid either. They're well-educated. They've read it. They've memorized it. They got down like, you know, they got down like nothing. And yet they're missing it. They're blind. To it and and that's why I can see the same thing happening where it's just like 
they see Jesus and they're they're seeing to, these things. They're be, like, oh god, we got we gotta stop it. I, I love this is the one kudo. I appreciate Rabbi Singer's zeal for monotheism. I had the same thing. Okay, I didn't I struggled with the Trinity because I was so absolutely zealous. Again, the Shema, the Deuteronomy six, four through nine wasn't just uh, something I recited but it was like a personal oath of loyalty to the king. It was my life verse. So I really appreciate that. The problem is, is if you do so in a dishonest way, you you dishonor the God of truth. Good point. Okay. If God is truth, and if he is the source of all truth, then I have to deal truthfully. And when I'm not, I'm dishonoring him, no matter how much I think I'm honoring him. So, you know... And Jesus was simply saying that to the Pharisees. Essentially, you think you're honoring God. They have a zeal for God, yet without knowledge. Okay, Romans. They think they're honoring God, but the problem is they, they don't understand the God they're trying to honor. I can see the point. And so that's where they're kind of at. And so they react to the incarnation. Did God have grandchildren, my dad said to me? You don't understand the word son. You don't understand the concept of sonship. And do understand... That in the church, the connection between the foundation of the theophany, preparing the way for the incarnation, is not often taught. Because Christians aren't treating it like a narrative all the time perfectly. And I'd say, have a message that does biblical theology that goes from the theophany in the temple. They're getting this in my Sunday schools. We're going through Exodus. We're getting ready for the Shekinah to take up residence. And I want to go from the Shekinah to the incarnation what are you seeing here these are the connections these are the threads that run between the other threads up and down well that's even what the bible talks about so often is when you're reading through it it will actually have symbolic showings that what who christ is and who what he's going to do and it, as you're saying it just connects it to the point where when jesus shows up it's like the precursor. It's like watching a television series that's talking about this great big thing. It's like watching The Matrix, let's say, for example. And they talk about, you know, there's going to be this end battle between Smith and uh, Neo. And it's this giant buildup of, you know, the ending of the War of Zion and the, and the defeat of, you know, Smith and, and the, the fulfilling of the prophecy. And it's this giant buildup. And it's almost like, well, we have to ignore the giant buildup to ignore... Neo's coming into the Matrix. So now it's like we have to ignore what the Torah and the Tanakh, the Old Testament is teaching in order that we can ignore the incarnation that the that the Old Testament is preparing us for. And then Jesus shows right up and he goes, I am here. I am the incarnation. I am the Messiah. And he says it to a few people. He teaches that he is God. And this is where it's like he goes, this is it. It's done. It's finished. We're, we're Everything is completed. Put your faith into me. I have got all this done. <laughs> and think of a mystery, okay? If you're writing a mystery, and you're writing a good mystery, there are clues before you get to where it's solved. Exactly. The scissors on the table over here that no one was paying much attention to all of a sudden makes sense, not at that scene, but in the end. When you discover why those scissors being on that table, we were just watching Columbo last night, and an umbrella is a big deal. Well, the umbrella isn't a big deal at the time. 
The umbrella is a big deal when he solves it and points out how the umbrella tripped up so-and-so because it's proof of thus and such. All the little things add up to the larger picture. Right. And I think that's what is harder in this circumstance is that it's willful. We don't want to look at the smaller stuff because if we acknowledge, it almost sounds like these Jewish teachers, these rabbis, <coughs> if they acknowledge the Old Testament, as in what we're discussing here, then they have to acknowledge Jesus. And it's a fear of saying that Jesus is that Messiah. He is the one that they're talking about, that that the Old Testament is leading into. And, they're, and it seems like they're fearful of that. Biblical Judaism doesn't crumble, but the problem is rabbinical Judaism will. True. Because the basis by which they hold, this is why the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. What basis did they hold their authority over the people? What happens to that authority if Jesus is who he says he is? They lose all authority. They lose all authority. So would you say it's just a fear of losing power? I think there are honest rabbis out there. I don't want to paint everybody with the same No, brush. of course not. I'm just saying, just in general. In general, Judaism has been built. Even even the liberal brands of Judaism still, still had to build on something. Okay? And so the problem is what becomes the basis for why I do what I do? And remember, they have to function as a community in exile. So how do we figure out how you be Jewish in Poland in 1100? I can see where it could be difficult. Yeah, and so the good news is God has used the foundations of tradition to keep a people alive. The bad news is that if you give those traditions authority that God never intended for them to have, then you create a man-made religion as opposed to a biblical faith. Yeah, I was going to say that's exactly where we lead because if you give the authority more to the tradition, the tradition takes over what it was really supposed to be and then you lose your way. So in essence, it's like an ironic situation that you're trying not to lose your way, but in the process of not trying to lose your way, you lose your way. Right. The problem is this, okay, the glasses. Your Jewish friend has these glasses on, okay? Mm -hmm. The veil that Paul talks about. When the law of Moses is read, they have these glasses on. And, and what happens is they, they're going to have to take the glasses off and see a new way. That's like trying to pull teeth out of a very angry dog. It's, it's very hard. Uh, but the good news is when Jewish people are really confronted with these things in a sensitive way, where they're shown the connections, they do and can come. But it's not going to be hitting them over the head with the Romans road or doing the way of the master, which are legitimate techniques. Right. But they weren't written by a, a guy who understood Jewish thought. And so they work very well with one audience. And that's why it's good to have many tools in your tool belt. Right. Because a screwdriver can't fix everything. Because a screwdriver can't fix everything. And so you're going to have to learn to think in biblical theology. That's a really good point. Jesus right. is the walking, burning bush. Jesus is the walking Shekinah glory of God. Jesus is the word of God by which everything was created. That's why John does that in John 1. It harkens back to, uh, to Genesis 1. In the beginning was the word, and God said, and it was so. And God said, Amar, it was so. And John is doing biblical theology. I do like that because I will actually talk to um, 
certain uh, Jewish friends of mine who will say, like, well, how do you know Jesus is God? And I've been reading John, they'll have that difficulty. But I think one of the things that we should be talking about as well, and we'll do this on the next episode, just touch about this one, is when I have talked to Jewish friends of mine, I have talked to them about the Messiah. Because they do believe a Messiah is coming and they, and whatnot. So I asked them straight up, and this is where I'll end the episode and we'll, and we'll continue on to the next one, is what is the Jewish Messiah? And so we'll carry on with this okay. on the next episode. So I hope you guys all tune in to the next one because this is going to be very interesting. It's one that I've really actually, um, is very close to me. So thank you so much for listening. I hope to hear from you. Um, well, I hope you guys tune in to the next episode. Until next time, may God virtually bless you, my dearly beloved.